0: Is USC for real with this? Is Florida State for real with this? I got to ask, what are we doing with this top five now that Washington, USC, Oklahoma, and my goodness, Texas all survived their trap game? Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up kinfolk? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today we have to react to the Associated Press poll's top 25 rankings and I'm going to tell you about my top 25 rankings and we're going to get into the differences and the nuances for those things just ahead of the College Football Playoff Selection Committee releasing its top 25 in just over a week's time for which we will absolutely be here live on Tuesday night. But for now, you get me. And you get the AP. So let's start with games that we did not cover last night on our recap show, as they had not been played yet. And at the top of the list for me is number 14, Utah, upsetting number 18, USC, 34 to 32. This is primarily a USC segment because we did not expect to see Utah handle SC the way that they did at the Coliseum. The way that you need to tell this story to your children. When they say, Baba, tell me a story is, hey, what about the one where the pig farmer at quarterback beat the Heisman winner at quarterback where the five star quarterback lost to the walk on third string quarterback that couldn't even win the job outright until here recently walked into the Coliseum and walked out where Hector and Helen on his arm. Look, I'm looking at this game. And I'm watching a number of things that I just did not expect. One was Sione Vaki absolutely starring once again, but in such a huge way, a converted safety who had 217 total yards of two TDs against this USC defense. But as I said, that's Alex Grinch's defense. They're going to give up a ton of yardage if they can get stops and tackles for loss and their top 10 in tackles for loss and sacks. But they still give up these yardage, and they still give up too many points. And Sione Baki is one of the latest and greatest to take advantage of a not bend or don't break speed D, but a defense that's just going to go, hey, look, if you can beat us for an explosive, we'll let you get to the house. At the end of this game, though, it felt like USC was going to find a way. felt like the defense was going to come up with a stop. Toward the end, there was some questionable play calling by Lincoln Riley as He elected to try to go kick a field goal and basically put it on the defense's end to stop Utah as opposed to putting it on the Heisman winner to go get him six. And it didn't work out for them. But I I have a hard time looking at this game and understanding where USC goes from here is Utah set season highs for points scored with 34 and for total yardage with 482. Again, this is a team that not only doesn't have cam rising, but will not have cam rising for the remainder of the season. He gets the medical red shirt, and he can come back for another year if he so chooses. But also means that Lincoln Riley and USC are 0-3 against Utah and Kyle Whittingham. Also means that Lincoln Riley has now suffered back-to-back losses at SC in back-to-back seasons, and Utah has been one of those losses on both occasions. This is not a trap game for SC. Not at all. This is a team that you not only need to see coming, but you know what time it is. They own you. If anything, you wanted to so set a tone and show everybody what's really good after taking that L in South Bend Notre Dame. And the thing that we said about that was at least it wasn't a conference loss. Well, now you got a conference loss and you got a conference loss against the Utah team that frankly has turned out to be a top 25 team without Cam rising because the defense has been so good. And they found playmakers in the backfield that can get things done for them. Now, on top of all of this, it's really difficult to ignore Alex Grinch in that defense. Given up the points that they have. I mean, just take a look at this. In the last four games, we've seen USC give up an average of 41 points per game. 41 to Colorado, 41 to Arizona, 48 to Notre Dame, and now 34 to Utah. They've given up at least 28 points in six of the eight games that they have played. We're talking about going back to Stanford for their best defensive performance when they allowed 10 points in that game. And you saw UCLA just handle Stanford Late last night. It also was a bad look to end the game because in the post game, Lincoln Riley did not make players available to reporters for interviews. And I got a problem with that as I come up as a beat writer and that's preventing me from doing my job. It's really difficult to write a really good and well-rounded story based on a coach and his quotes, along with a coach that won't let me talk to the Heisman winner who had a role in that game and how they lost it or how they might have won it. It's really just depriving readers and folks like me some insight into what's going on at SC, but that probably is keeping in what Lincoln Riley wants to do going forward at SC, but there's some things that you just can't ignore. One of those is with two losses, USC is not going to make the college football playoff and may not make the Pac-12 championship game, even though he fielded a question where he said in a roundabout way, first, that that was a dream, that there, somebody was living in a dream world, thinking SC was going to make the college football playoff perhaps before playing Utah, and then that there's still a road forward for him and this team to possibly get there and maybe make history as the first two-loss team to make the college football playoff. Even if we felt good about his chances, he still got to go through some really good Pac-12 teams through the month of November and get some signature wins. Let alone what was it we're going to see from Utah the rest of the way. But I'm going to go one step further here. Riley was brought in because USC fired Clay Helton, okay? He started off 9-0 at Oklahoma. They got through the month of October unscathed, which is a big deal at Oklahoma. They took the loss to Baylor. They took the loss to Oklahoma State, and he was out the door to SC because they had been looking for him, right? He gets there. Now, 22 games in, he's 17-5. Through the first 22 games of Clay Helton's career, he was 17-5 identical records for both of them it's more than that though because clay helton did not have the caliber of quarterback that lincoln riley has in caleb williams no one will tell you differently it's also lincoln riley has now coached baker mayfield kyler murray caleb williams and jalen hurts that is three heisman winners two number one overall picks and possibly a third and damn near the NFL MVP last year, and he has not even sniffed coaching a national champ- in a national championship game, and he has never won a college football playoff, and he's looking at not winning a Pac-12 championship in this two years at SC. Add to this, it's really getting underneath the skin of folks that are fans of SC and read the LA Times. So Bill Plasky, is la times sports columnist and one of the greats again i came up looking to be a writer i am a writer i wrote two books i got into this crazy thing called sports media because i wanted to be like bill Plaskey and skip bayless back in the day when he was at the dallas morning news and it goes on and on i i really do love sports writers and i love sports columnists because they tell it like it is and they're usually right and just so i could set this up clearly Plasky is that dude. I know some of y'all be seeing him on television and you think what you think, but Plasky's in the National Sports Media Hall of Fame. He's in the California Sports Hall of Fame. And he's won Sports Columnist of the Year nine times. And that's given away by the Associated Press. And that damn thing is real difficult to win. You gotta be at the top of your game to win that sort of acclaim. Now, this is what Bill Plasky wrote on his Sunday column for today about Lincoln Riley. Riley failed the moment he failed the Trojans. He failed the Coliseum, and he is failing this season. Only way out of that one is to get back to the Pac-12 championship and to win it and perhaps win a New Year's Six Bowl because I just don't think that there is going to be room for a 2 lost team in this year's college football playoff. And if anything, nobody wants a 12-team playoff more right now than SC because they could play themselves into it. How did the Associated Press take a look at both SC's loss And Utah's win. Well, we got USC at number 24, just ahead of James Madison and just behind UCLA and Tulane. And we got Utah up to 13, right? I think that's about right. Because when I take a look at my rankings, I got USC down to 20, and I got Utah up to 11. I was a little bit more impressed with Utah and a little bit more lenient on SC. I think that's because, well, frankly... Some other things happened that we're going to get into that I had to take into account that I did not know I was going to have to take into account with an SC loss at home to what has become a good, if not great, Utah football team. And that's a great way to get to Washington, Arizona State right here. Washington is at number five for me because I you won your game. You won your trap game. 15-7, to right? I, I, ugh, nasty. But you won that game. For the Associated Press, though, they're at number five, too. So we agree on this. And I think that, A, not everybody stayed up to watch that game. I did because that's my job. My job is contingent on me watching as much football as is possible that matters for the college football playoffs. So if that means that I'm up at 1 a.m. local to finish Arizona State and Washington, that's what I'm going to do. But I did get... An email around about 930 from the National Football Foundation reminding me to submit my poll for them because, you know, they got their rankings coming out today, too. And I wonder how many people just like penciled in Washington beating Arizona State without looking at the caliber of Arizona State team they played. And then how did Washington fare against them? Washington still is the front runner to win the Pac-12 championship, but that's because they're undefeated. It ain't because they look good right now. I think Utah would be able to give Washington everything they want. To say nothing of uh, what Oregon might do or not do against that Washington football team. But it was a nasty game from the start. And if you were watching at the front, you're going, "Okay, Washington is ahead, but just barely." And Cameron Scadabo who producer Tyler said the next great new England Patriot was doing as much as anybody on that Arizona state team to give Washington fits. But we saw some things from Michael Penix jr. That don't look like a Heisman candidate to me three interceptions in this game. All right. And if not for the defense coming up with a pick six at the end of the game to finish it, Arizona has an opportunity to win that game by just kicking a field goal. Excuse me. Arizona state has an opportunity to win that game by just kicking a field goal. We're also talking about an Arizona State team that wasn't playing its best football and has never been full strength. We're talking about a combined 20 players who have been injured for Arizona State that have combined to miss 59 games. That ain't great. Now, Arizona State also gave USC everything it wanted. But right now, we think Washington's a better football team. And this game was in Seattle. Okay? There's no reason for you to win a 15-7 game against a bad Arizona State team, you ought to be thumping them at home. Now, you won the trap game, which was the theme of the week. Win your trap games cuz not everybody did. And I and go back to this Utah was not a trap game for SC. But now that you got that one out of your system and you came up with a win that was ugly, maybe Washington can continue This really cool run of undefeated, but you're getting to see as we get closer and closer to November, teams are getting better and the margins are getting skinnier on what you can do in as far as a mistake. It's also a Washington team that was horrible running the football. They rushed for 17 yards in that game. That is the fewest in a Washington win since 2002. This is also a Washington football team that went straight at Oregon's neck and ran the football on them convincingly with Dylan Johnson. I gotta know what was it that Brian Ward saw that Dan Lanning and Tosh Lapoy did not, because his dudes were rallying to the football and they knew where Michael Penix Jr. wanted to go with it and they were getting in front of him. Outstanding game for that defense at Arizona State and they deserved to win. They they really did. They deserved to win. They outplayed, watched it for the better part of that game and Trenton Bourget, I just felt so bad for him because. He aired up a ball that he shouldn't have, and that was the game, but he was playing way above his level for most of the game, and that was almost a signature victory for them. It becomes a who boy too close for comfort win for Washington. But again, they remain number five for me because they won the football game, which is why I ended up doing the same thing with Oklahoma at number four. They won their trap game, right, 31-29. That also means that you are one step closer to being undefeated this season while some other teams are not. And we're going to get into that, but first I want to get into number four, Florida State, rallying to beat number 16, Duke, 38-20. to 20. This was a definite Florida State football game like the one that I've been telling y'all about all the time, okay? Duke led this game 20-17 to 17 with Riley Leonard at quarterback in the third quarter. He goes down with an injury off a face mask, and his ankle gets twisted up, 618 left in the third quarter. You bring in Henry Beelan, who I had said ain't it, but you bring him in, and he's got the ball on the Florida State 11-yard line. Four downs. You're inside the five. You're on the three. You can't do anything with it. Mike Elko doesn't elect to go get points and go up 23-17. to 17. They turn the ball over on downs, and you let Florida State and Jordan Travis drive the length of the field, 96 yards, taking just 6'18 uh, off the clock into the fourth quarter for the go-ahead TD, and that was the backbreaker. That was it. Riley Leonard, though, was out there on one leg and was beating Florida State. Okay? They were running the football effectively on that defense. He was making plays for them. He is the talisman. Him going out changes the complexion of a game that Tallahassee, well, I should say Florida State in Tallahassee should never have been behind. You should have never been behind. You end up scoring 38 points. But again, it's like that LSU game. You're not convincing me in the way that you're winning these football games. It's more like the other team lost it rather than you won it. I'm not going to rank you number four based on that, and I'm not going to dock you anymore. But – The Associated Press team uh, still thinks it, or I should say the Associated Press voters still think that you're the number four team in the country. No, I got you at six behind Washington. What I really need is for Oklahoma and Florida State to play a quarterfinal because I think they're about the same, right? And we get this thing into the Cheez-It Bowl last year, and you know that Florida State goes over Oklahoma's dead body to hand Oklahoma's first losing season in damn near 25 years. And I think they're about on par with each other right now at uh, Washington. Again, they're in the middle there, but I expect Ohio state and Michigan to figure that part out for us at two and three, but this has just been a great year. And I would really love to see just this year, those two teams in a quarterfinal matchup. Cause I think it would show us which one is actually better as opposed to me just being the Oklahoma guy or just being the guy that doesn't like Florida state. Both of those are by the way, right to do because we're, just getting into the nitty-gritty part of the season. But for Florida State, getting that win was a big deal. 38-20 is a nice margin of victory, but also means you're you're the last remaining undefeated team in the ACC. Which leads me to the stunner of the night for me, which was Virginia upsetting number 10 UNC, 31-27. Okay? I came to this game after the Florida State game to demonstrate, yeah, not everybody goes on and does what Florida State did, which is win that game when they're supposed to. No, Virginia, who was absolutely bad, one in five going into Chapel Hill, decides to come on with to come on and get Tony Elliott, not just the signature win in the ACC this year, but the signature win for school history at Virginia in the South's oldest rivalry. Virginia had never gone on the road and beaten a top 10 opponent, ever. They did that Saturday night, outstanding job by the Cavaliers. And you know what? In a year where things have gone just bad for Virginia and they're hurting in a very real way, I feel so good for them because this is really what Tony Elliott came to Virginia to do. It was to win football games like this. And he was telling his players before the game started, hey, this is why you play the sport. This is why we work hard. This is what it's all about. Go out there, have a good time. Let it go. And they did that. And they handed UNC their first loss of the season with their Heisman final at that quarterback in Drake May. Outstanding for them. Real, real bad for UNC. Real, 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 real bad. Real, real bad. Ooh, oh, ooh awful. I don't, mm. I, I don't know that there's a worse loss. I, I, yeah, I don't think there's a worse loss for any of the top 10 teams or any team that's been in the top 10 so far. I don't think you're going to come back from that one, okay? A lot of reasons as to why. A, UNC, I thought, might be able to give Florida State a run for its money, and it still might, right? But it also just demonstrates, hey, ACC ain't as deep as we look because I looked at this, and I said, okay, do Notre Dame wins and losses count toward ACC title tallies for you know getting into the ACC championship game? And they do not. So that means right now we got Louisville, and UNC battling to be the other representative in the ACC title game against Florida State. That means a team that lost to 1-5 in Virginia and a team that lost to, I believe, 1-4 in Pitt might be vying for spots in the ACC title game against an undefeated Florida State. Florida State looks like 2014 Florida State to me. They're going to walk through their schedule. They don't have a ranked opponent left on it. They're going to get in the ACC title game. They're going to win the ACC title. They're going to get in the college football playoff, and then Oregon is going to hand them their head, or that's what happened in 2014, okay? I don't think this team has it against the number one, number two, number three teams in the country right now, and there's still that gap. For that matter, Oklahoma still has some things to do, although that win against Texas does more for me than Florida State being LSU, all right? Because LSU ain't that good, okay? LSU's already got two losses. LSU barely beat Missouri, who, by the way, is in the midst of one of their best seasons since 2013, basically since their first year in the SEC. So the ACC is all on fire, but still got away, right? Florida State being undefeated. Oklahoma being undefeated in the Big 12 still got away. Big 10 is great. SEC is great. We're still going to find out just how good the rest of the Pac-12 can be along the way, but – Duke's win against Clemson doesn't look that good anymore, especially with that loss to Florida State and then Clemson losing to Miami in overtime. North Carolina, Louisville, and Miami all took awful losses. Virginia, Pitt, Georgia Tech, respectively. I can't look at Florida State and say your schedule has been that tough. It's just hard, especially now that we got that really bad last for loss for UNC to Virginia in Chapel Hill. I it, the ACC for me might be the fifth best power five conference, okay? If Florida State goes and wins it and goes undefeated, maybe they turn into Clemson. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's what happens, right? They turned into Clemson 2016 and 2018, but I doubt it. I sincerely doubt it, and my rankings will reflect it, right? So again, just to recap there, I got Florida State at six, and I dropped UNC to 18 because, well, I looked at how many spots. I dropped UNC after losing to Virginia, and then I basically did the same math for USC <laughs> In Utah, because goodness me. And then I think we're going to get to figure this thing out as it keeps going on. So I'm not really that worried about my rankings or the AP's rankings, or for that matter, even the college football playoff selection committee's rankings coming up here in just over a week's time. So outside of that, I think everything else is as it should be with James Madison making it into the AP's top 25, and they've been in mine. But I want to take this moment to just point out a couple things in this group of five battle to be the New Year's Six Bowl team. Arizona, excuse me, Arizona, Air Force is 7-0 for the first time since 1997. Also completed the longest pass in school history against Navy on Saturday, which was a 94-yard pass play. I don't know what you got to be to be a midshipman and get the longest play in Air Force school history be a pass play on you. That's tough. And then I want to take a look at James Madison also being undefeated this year. They played 18 games since joining FBS, they won 15 of them. They went eight and three last year. They're undefeated this year, and they are going to be denied the opportunity to play in a bowl game for a second straight year. Charlie Baker issued that just earlier last week. I think James Madison absolutely should be in a bowl game. I don't know why we are limiting James Madison from not being in a bowl game. They're, they've been bowl eligible for like two weeks. I we got other teams that are going to make bowls that aren't. I just, if there was something to do about that, I would like to see it done. I really would. And I just, Hate that for the Dukes. Here I am standing on the table for James Madison, among others. But you know what? They deserve it, and I would like somebody to do it for me if I was 7-0. Just respect that I'm 7-0. Let me go play in a bowl game. Let me compete for a spot in the New Year's Six Bowl game because it's right there for them. They, they and Air Force could get that done. Finally, on the way out, let's talk about Michigan and the sign-stealing investigation that they are under. So here are the facts, just so we are all on the same page here. The NCAA is investigating the Michigan football program for allegations of sign stealing. Now, the rule in question is NCAA bylaw 11.6.1, and it goes, quote, off-campus in-person scouting of future opponents in the same season is prohibited, end quote. The NCAA claims that Michigan is using a, quote, vast network, end quote, to steal opposing team signs, conspiracy, to cons- to steal signs. Yahoo reported that Michigan may have, quote, used unnamed individuals, unquote, to attend games and scout signs used by, quote, scheduled opponents and possible college football playoff opponents, end quote. ESPN later reported that, quote, a low-level staffer with military background, end quote, is one of the keys to the scheme. His name is Connor Stallions. He was suspended with pay earlier in the week. Connor Stallions went to Navy, uh, was a Marine, and worked logistics while wanting to be a football coach, had been a grad assistant at Michigan, came back there to work for them, and apparently has gotten really good at stealing signs, right? Whether that's watching game copy, TV copy, or being in the stands, that's what we're trying to figure out, because being in the stands is apparently against it, but I don't know about y'all, but I watched Michigan just handle Michigan State and Michigan State create more problems for itself. I'm not going to talk about that story. I'm just going to say go look up Michigan State in the video board if you are so interested. But Michigan is the number one team in the country for me, okay? And they ain't got a damn thing with stealing signs. They don't need to steal your signs. They, They don't. They're just better than you. I think that's what we're doing right now. We're crying about Michigan being good, and I hate that. That gets under my skin. I never, ever want to cry about somebody else beating me. I just want to go beat them. I would say, oh, you want to steal our science? Cool, let's get good at stealing yours. Let's do everything necessary to win. And that's that's what I'm about. That's why I love this job. That's why I do this job. Did you win? Are you about winning? What's your focus? Are you really gonna sit over there and cry about your signs getting stolen? or are you gonna go get a backbone and try to stop out Michigan because that's the only way forward for me. otherwise, you look real soft. you look real mishmash and cupcake, okay? You look like frosting. Last time I checked this is football and we hit people. okay? what the stealing signs got to do with hitting people? All right. That is going to do it for this live episode of the number one college football show. We will be back on Wednesday to get you set for Saturday's games, including Oklahoma at Kansas for big noon. Very excited about that. Our number one college football show leads of screening are Jack Coakley and Torin Westfall. They make us better in the film room. Production assistant Kiara Santana puts the special in our special teams. Social producer Javion Duncan makes sure the recruits and the rivals see the cake we bake. You don't need to steal your signs either. Technical direction is by my man Chaz Boulay. keeps sending in the signals. Senior producer Catherine Cordaggi sees the entire field from the booth. Lead producer Tyler Wojak calls the plays from the sideline. And the play snaps on my clap. We'll see y'all on Wednesday. this.